Let me start with just a little story about myself from when I was a younger person. I was about 12 years old. I was talking with my daughter this morning about uh, when I went to middle school. She's kind of starting a new program in our homeschool thing, and there's like a transition. But here I was. I sort of transitioned into middle school. And we had intramural basketball. And I loved sport. You guys know me. I love sports. I love playing sports. Uh, and so there I was on this intramural basketball team. And I was, you know, there was, you know, bigger kids than me because I was kind of a puny guy. And, you know, we were playing basketball. And I got to get in the game. And I was in the game. And, you know, they weren't passing the ball to me a lot, right? I wasn't, you know, these are middle schoolers. It was, you know, you can imagine. You can have a picture of what that's like in your mind. But here we were, and there was this play, and something happened. There was a loose ball. You guys know what a loose ball is in, in basketball. It's when no one has control of it. And I got it. It came to me. And I was like, here's my chance. And bam, I took off right towards the hoop. And I went right down there, and I was like, man, I'm going. And nobody's stopping me. And then people were cheering and yelling. And I went, and I did a layup, and I missed it. And it's a good thing I missed it, because it was the wrong basket. <laughs> I was going the wrong way. No wonder nobody was stopping me, and people were yelling at me. They were probably yelling, stop, stop. My parents were probably covering their eyes. And... But life can be kind of like that, right? We're like, ah, I'm going, I'm driving hard, and here we go, and we're going for the layup, and we realize we're going the wrong way. Hopefully, we realize we're going the wrong way. But we can't just be going the wrong way. <clears throat> and here we all are, right? We're believers, and we're walking in a season that's really challenging. There's a lot of turmoil going on in our culture, and it's so easy for us to get distracted. We can get distracted by a, a pandemic, we can get distracted by politics. We can get distracted by the economy. We can get distracted by all different kinds of things. And we don't know what tomorrow will hold. And the year 2020 has really showed us that tomorrow could really hold anything. Right? We don't know what's coming. And so it's easy for us to get distracted. And we know right here coming up in front of us in these next few months is going to be a really distracting season, isn't it? We've got an election coming up and there's going to be all this stuff going on. It's starting to churn around politics and there's going to be all this distraction. And what happens in our faith if we get distracted? If we get distracted, we might be like, you know, junior high Greg. We're going the wrong way. We start running the wrong way and we're trying to score points for the wrong team. So this morning, I just wanted to share that, hey, as we're looking towards this fall and towards these few months, and in some ways, you know, a few months ago, we were like, I can barely see past tomorrow, and now we're going, okay, we can look at least a few months ahead. As we look that way, I believe we've got to be running together as a church. We've got to be running as believers in the same direction in what is going to be a continued or maybe even an increased season of distraction. And so I thought this morning, I just want to look at three things that we can do. To be together so we can all be going the right way this fall. So the first thing is, is probably fairly obvious is discipleship. How can we be together? We can be together in discipleship. Now, discipleship, we've talked about this before. Of course, it means, you know, the, the definition is just simply embracing and assisting in spreading the teachings of Jesus Christ. We've talked about that a number of times, and it's a very sensible, simple definition. We go, okay, we're going to embrace and we're going to insist, assist in these things. Why should we do it? 
Why should we do it? Okay, that's discipleship. Why do we do it? Well, I'll give you a couple reasons here. The first one is that Jesus said to. If Jesus said to follow him and we've given our lives to him, then that's what we ought to do. We've put this verse up a lot of times. Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple has to do what? Deny themselves. But not just that. Take up their cross and follow me. Take up their cross and follow me. And we understand today, what does take up their cross mean? It means to go unto death. That's kind of scary. But this is really just a simple test for our hearts. If I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what do I need to do? i got to obey what he said. He said, do this. You want to be my disciple? Do what I say. Am I going to do it? Will I go to the death? It's a hard question, but it's a simple question. Another reason we should have discipleship is that it's worship. It's the worship of God. We worship him by following him. John 4.23, the hour is now here, Jesus said. When true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's seeking such people to worship him. What kind of people is he seeking? Those who are in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. See, I think if I was going to paraphrase what Jesus was saying here, Jesus was saying, look, worship is not going to a place and doing a thing. That's not worship. What is worship? Worship instead is putting your entire life, your entire life on a track to follow God. Right? We, we try to be very careful about saying, oh, we came to worship this morning. Well, we were worshiping in song, and it's good to sing and worship, but complete worship, completeness, is encapsulated in discipleship. So why do we have discipleship? Because we worship God by doing that. Have you caught that heart in our church? <laughs> have you caught that's what we're going for? We see success as people being connected to Jesus. That's how we're going to be successful is when each one of us is connected to Jesus. A third reason we should have discipleship is because, hey, you know, there's a reward for it. We will receive eternal rewards. I love this passage in Matthew. The disciples are like, uh, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. What will we get? What's our reward? And Jesus tells them, hey, everyone who's left, what? Houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands? Just kind of everything, right? For my name's sake, we'll receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There are rewards coming for us in eternity when we are disciples of Jesus. I'm not going to dwell on that a ton this morning, but it's good for us to remember, hey, there's a reward coming for us down the road. So there's uh, three reasons why we should be disciples. Now the scripture also, there's, there's some reasons the scripture doesn't give us. Right? Some of those things would include uh, getting rich. You should be a disciple so you can get rich. Scripture doesn't say that one. Right? Uh, also, uh, be free of suffering. Nope. Obviously, if we've got to carry our cross, and we'll talk some more about that in a little bit. Or, you know, maybe we might think, oh, I should be a disciple so I can be morally superior to others. Nope. That's not one of the reasons to be a disciple. Right? So the scripture doesn't give us those. It gives us some reasons. But then it also, um, we also get you know, to some of the, the elements. So what, what really is discipleship founded on? The central element of discipleship, of course, is Christ. And I'm sort of like, duh. Right, Greg. Well, why would we be a disciple of Christ if Christ wasn't at the center? But it's so easy for us to get sidetracked and think, oh, discipleship is about reading my Bible. Discipleship is about me having a prayer life. Discipleship is about me going to church or doing moral things. That's not what discipleship is. Those are things that are vehicles for us to go after Jesus. 
Jesus Christ is at the center of discipleship. The gateway to true discipleship then is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the good news. We can get sidetracked here and we can think, oh, well, the gospel, that's how I got saved. And now I got to work really hard and I got to do a lot of good things to go after Jesus. No, the gospel is what we have to continually preach to ourselves day by day, moment by moment. The gospel is what informs discipleship. If we turn discipleship just into merely doing a bunch of stuff, we're, just, we're not really going after Jesus. We're not going after Jesus because his message is the gospel. And we want to spread and assist in his message. So how do we live the gospel out? Well, we live it out by seeking first the kingdom. This is just a really, really clear verse and a really, really clear direction in Matthew chapter 6. For the Gentiles seek after earthly stuff. That's sort of my paraphrase, right? He says a bunch of things there. But the Gentiles seek after earthly stuff and your father, your heavenly father knows that you need it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And that's really the crux of it when we get to being a disciple is this. Will I make decisions that put God's kingdom first? Or will I make decisions that kind of take God's work and put it on the sidelines? Because the world says maybe I should do something different. Am I going to make decisions that put God's kingdom first? Or am I going to make other decisions that kind of follow the world's wisdom? That's the choice we have to make. That's what it means to seek first. True disciples let this sink in. They let this sink in and they let it drive decisions that are really hard to make. Easy decisions, whatever. Hard decisions. If we're going to be a disciple, we have to do that. So where do we express the gospel? Well, we express it in our own lives and we express it in our own homes. But we express it really in spiritual family. In our community, in our church. That's why God established the church. And we have to remember that when we talk about community, community is not, oh, there's like an expert in discipleship. And we all just sort of go sit at the expert's feet and he or she just tells us how it's done. That's not what discipleship is. If that's what you think it is, you've come to the wrong person because I'm not the expert in that and you shouldn't be sitting at my feet for that. But what is discipleship? Discipleship is just simply each one of us helping somebody else who maybe is not as far along on the journey as we are. And you can't have discipleship unless you're being discipled. So how can we miss it? How can we miss discipleship? How can we be like the little, little junior high Greg and be going the wrong way? And instead of going towards the right goal, how can we go into the right goal? Well, I can think of a couple things. One is that we can just push the panic button. When it comes to our finances, our family, our work, our life choices, we just push the panic button and go, ah, i got to do something else. I can't seek the kingdom first. And man, it can be especially easy, can't it, in a, in a time where things are like in a ton of upheaval socially and economically around us. We can go, oh my goodness, things are really hard. i got to run for the hills with my Bible, my bullets, and my beans, right? But that's not the call. The call is to follow Christ. When he said, seek first the kingdom, he meant... Seek first in a pandemic. Seek first in an election season. Seek first in a time where things are probably going to get really hard economically here. He didn't say, well, oh yeah, 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 yeah. When those things happen, you don't have to seek first the kingdom. That's not what he said. Seek first the kingdom. Are we going to do it or are we going to push the panic button? 
Another thing is we start to forget about community. We forget that community grows out of Christ, that it doesn't grow out of events and programs. I think that's something we've all probably learned and it's been very, become very clear to us, hasn't it? In the past few months is that when, the, when things go kind of haywire in the world, people start looking out for number one. They start looking out for number one. That's why we saw all those shortages of things and you go to Costco and they're like, we don't have any rice. We don't have any alcohol wipes. and We don't have any toilet paper. I think that was maybe people were looking out for number two instead of for number one. (laughs) Seriously, though. We get selfish. When things get crazy, our flesh starts to look for ways to be served, not to serve. But what did Jesus say? He came not to be served, but to serve. So we turn those things upside down. We can start to forget that and we start to think, oh, community comes from programs and events. And what are the best events and programs I can find to serve me? That's not discipleship. So that's what I want to share about discipleship this morning. I think we can really run together as a church. If we as a church are going to say, all right, we're going to pursue this. We're going to go the right way. And guess what? When you're going the right way, there's going to be resistance. You know, if I'd been doing that layup and I was going the right way, someone would have tried to stop me. We can have the same thing with discipleship. And so that's my encouragement to you on that matter this morning is don't hit that panic button. Don't hit it. Instead, move towards Jesus. Move towards Jesus. Become a stronger disciple. A deeper disciple. And man, think about it. This time we live in is historic. You're living in a historically significant time. Do you want to be able to look back and say, hey, I became a deeper disciple of Jesus when things are really hard? I hope so. I want to. Second thing I want to share, which is also kind of a key component of discipleship, is evangelism. Evangelism. Do you guys remember that old song? Some of you do. I'm looking at Dave over here because I'm sure he remembers it. And Dave and Diane. They will know that we are Christians by our love. I won't sing it for you. I won't torture you with that. It's this old sort of, you know, semi-melancholy song, which is kind of funny. But it's based on this verse, right? Jesus says in John 13, By this all people will know that you, Christians, are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Love for one another. And so I asked somebody this week uh, this question about a family. I said, what happens to a family if a family does not reproduce itself? What happens? It dies. That was, yeah. Maybe I asked you, Kenneth. I can't remember. It dies. It ceases to exist at some point, right? Now, I say that just as an illustration. That's not a judgment because we all understand there's different circumstances in people's lives and some people don't have families and it's okay. But I think we have to think about the spiritual family and we think about discipleship and being together and what happens if disciples don't multiply? There won't be any for a while. There won't be any. There will be no more disciples. And if there are no more disciples, then we go back to that definition of what it means to be a disciple, which is to spread the teachings of Jesus. If there's no more disciples, have they been good disciples? No, they haven't. They haven't done the thing that they're supposed to do to be disciples. So we got to remember this. Matthew 24, 14 tells us that the gospel, like the before the end is going to come, and probably a lot of us are thinking about the end when things are really crazy like they are now. The end isn't going to come until the gospel goes to the ends. That's kind of interesting to think about. And guess what? 
He says that's going to happen. So God is going to do that. So we have a choice. We can be part of that. Or we cannot be part of that. We can do it or we can not do it. And guess what? When you think about the ends of the earth, sometimes you might go, oh man, do I have to go to like, you know, the Tibetan plateau or some like crazy place? Like Missy's like, that sounds cool. Let's go to Turkey or whatever, right? Yeah. And I go, yeah, that's cool. But actually, if you really think about when it was written, the ends of the earth, like Missy going to Turkey is actually going like away from the ends of the earth back towards the center of the earth, which is Israel, right? Getting closer. So at some point we have to realize we're at the ends of the earth. Here, now it's good to go and go other places, but we're here right now. We don't need to think, oh, I need to go somewhere else to engage in evangelism. So if we're pursuing the Great Commission, which is the call to do this, and we are already at the ends of the earth, and Jesus is saying, hey, to be my disciple, spread the gospel then whether we like it or not, if we want to be Jesus' disciple, we better get on that mission. We better get on it. And we do that by engaging other people right here, right where we are. So what are some practical ways we can do that? How can we engage other people? Well, i got a few things we can do. And I hope we would do this together as a church. The first one is we identify fields. We identify fields, right? Remember, Jesus says, hey, get your eyes up. The fields are white. They're white with the harvest. Well, sometimes we've got to get our eyes up and say, what, what are the fields I'm standing in? Where are they? What are they doing? They could be, here's some examples, they could be your family. If you've got kids, you've got a field there. Or maybe you have an extended family. You go, ah, there's opportunities there. Maybe you have a circle of co-workers. Maybe you live in an apartment building or a condos or in a neighborhood or on a block. Maybe you're together with your family with a group of other families who are united around common purposes, activities, or sports, or other things. Maybe you could think about the poor as a field. You could think about, you know, the Bible talks about widows and orphans. Those who have, you know, no support or protection. You could think about, hey, there's an opportunity with, you know, fostering adoption. There's all kinds of things where you go, I can identify a field. And when you identify a field, then we can move into identifying people of peace. Well, what do I mean by a people, a person of peace? If you think about in Acts 16, we've got Lydia. Hey, not, not Lydia. I mean, that's probably who you're named after, right? But, like, Lydia, and she's what? She's like a, a cloth merchant, and she's like really interested in the gospel. And she becomes this person of peace who is someone that's basically a gateway for the gospel to be shared with a number of other people. And I think we have those kind of people living all around us who are receptive to the gospel, but who also might be a gateway for the spread of the gospel in those fields. Then we can start to look for needs and try to meet those needs, physical needs and emotional needs. It could be financial. It could be a need in their home. It could be a need with their kids. It could be a need for a friend to talk to, especially in a time like this, right? And so when we meet those needs, inevitably, those conversations, those needs, it, it leads us down a path to where there are spiritual needs. And i got to believe there's some overwhelming spiritual needs right now going on all around us. So when we hit that, we got to be ready to share the gospel. And this is where most of us panic and we go, oh my gosh, that's where we got to like, I got to bring in like Billy Graham or somebody here who can like really share this eloquently and with complexity and answer all the questions. And I go, well, I don't think that's really the case. I think we just have to do it really simply. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, let your conversation be what? Seasoned with salt. 
not like a, a blast from the salt cannon. It'll be seasoned with salt. It can be really simple. I'll give you an example. I'm going to share the gospel with you really simple right now. Here's the gospel, how I can have a right relationship with God. So, God made us. He made the world. He made us as people. He has a design. It was perfect. He's God. That's what it was. But something happened. I sinned. You sinned. Each one of us sinned, and our sin led us into a place of brokenness. We're broken, and we're separated from God. And most everybody understands this. And we go, okay, we're broken. And so now in our brokenness, we go, oh, I want to get back to God's design. I want to get back to what is good and perfect and right. And so we try all of these different things to get out of our brokenness. Like good deeds and religion and philosophy and just having a good time, having pleasure. But the reality is that brokenness, it's like, it's like got a gravitational pull. And it pulls us right back in. Because we still have the problem of our sin. Well, the good news is that God fixed it. God had a plan. And his plan was to send Jesus Christ, who the Bible tells us is his son. And he came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross after having not sinned in his life. And then he came back. He defeated death and came back to life. And the result of that is that we, in our broken state, can turn and believe in him. And through him, we have the ability to recover and pursue God's design. There we go. I just shared the gospel with you. <laughs> It was simple, wasn't it? There's all these simple little tools, things that we can use. If you need some of those, I'm glad to help you get them. But that's the idea. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt. And when you meet those needs, you have an opportunity to meet spiritual needs. And then the other thing we can do on this is we can work together. We can work together to share the gospel, to go out in evangelism. You know, this is really one of those main reasons why Brad and I have been like, look, we're going to go small. We're going to go small as a church and get into smaller circles because we think we can really go, when we go small, we can prioritize teamwork evangelism. So that's evangelism. Well, how can we get distracted? How can we, you know, go the wrong way and try to make a layup on evangelism for the wrong team? Well, there's a couple things I kind of on my heart that happen now. Is one, we can just get distracted by things like politics and society's issues. And I think this can cut a couple different ways. I think sometimes we can be more worried about the Constitution than we are about eternal salvation. Look, the Constitution is important. And our rights that we have written down on that piece of paper are important and they're good and the freedoms we have are great, but they're less important than somebody's eternal standing. That's what's more important. I'm more concerned about whether somebody is going to turn, spend eternity in hell or heaven than I am whether they're going to have the right to bear arms or the freedom of religion or the right to speak their mind. And then sometimes we can be more worried about someone's differences. Oh, you're different than me. Or you think differently than me. Or you look differently than me. And we can sort of get distracted by these issues and their important issues. But instead, we ought to be looking for what is the common ground. And the common ground is that every single person needs a Savior to save them from their sin. The other thing is that we can start to treat people with contempt when they disagree with us and they act or they think differently. I love the idea of a duck. Because a duck has to do what? It has to quack, right? If a duck doesn't quack, you go, there's something wrong with that duck. A duck quacks in the same way a sinner sins. <laughs> We ought to not be surprised. We're not surprised when the duck quacks. We're not surprised when the sinner sins. 
We ought to be okay that people have different thoughts or different views than us. What matters most is where are they going to spend eternity? Where are they going to spend eternity? So we don't want to miss it. We don't want to go the wrong way on evangelism. Let's keep our hearts there. And although there's turmoil, I think, as we as a church run together in evangelism and say we're going to share the good news, we're going to look for opportunities, we're going to look for fields that we can cultivate and and be invested in and look for persons of peace that we can see the gospel spread. I think as we do that, I believe there's a harvest of souls waiting for us. I really do. And I'm really excited to see that happen if we go this way as a church. And so that's my encouragement to you is start thinking if you haven't been already. Start thinking, what are those fields? How do I need to get my eyes up onto those fields? And who are those people around me? And how could I share? And maybe I need to get just a little bit of equipping and some things of, of talking about the gospel and the faith. Let's look for ways we can bring the good news of Jesus to others. So we talked about discipleship, and we talked about evangelism. Now there's another significant part of the Christian journey that's not very much fun, but it's really part of what we have to do, and that's suffering. We have suffering. The Bible's pretty clear on suffering for us. I'm going to throw you, I could have thrown up a lot of verses, but I'm going to put a few up here for you. We put this one up already. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? What do you have to do? Suffer. Take up your cross and go unto death and follow me. James, he says the same thing. He says, count it joy, my brothers, when you face trials, when you face suffering of all kinds. Well, Peter says it too. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When you are insulted, there is fiery trial coming upon us all. Second Timothy also says, Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who? All. What does all mean? All, right? We could go on with that. All. There's no sort of, oh, I got the free pass in Christianity. I don't don't get to be persecuted. No. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. And so I think every one of us knows that just generally human experience involves suffering, right? I mean, at a minimum, we're all going to die, right? And, you know, we're all supposed to pay taxes. That's suffering too. And a lot of us have to stand in line at the DMV. That's also suffering as well. There's all kinds of suffering that everybody is going to experience. But the Bible is clear here, isn't it? There's additional suffering that we as believers are going to encounter. We're going to suffer additionally because we hold a faith in Jesus. So anyone, if there's anyone out there that tries to tell you that our aim as believers should be comfort... Our aim should be health, or our aim should be wealth, or that we could just make your best life now by having some kind of special anointing of the Holy Spirit or something like that. That person is selling you a false gospel, and don't believe it. Don't believe it, because it says very clearly here, we're going to suffer. So, part of our witness to the world will be not only how can we come alongside people who are suffering, but how we conduct ourselves when we suffer. See, we go back to that verse in James. He says, count it all joy 
when we suffer. He doesn't say if you suffer, when you suffer. Well, what is suffering? That's kind of a general term. Well, you know, I can think of kind of four kinds of suffering, and maybe there's more. One of them is, you know, natural suffering, things that come from natural causes like disease and death. Others can be, you know, self-inflicted from our own sin choices. I haven't made some bad choices, and now I'm suffering the consequences of those. Sometimes we experience others' inflicted suffering. Maybe their own bad choices, their own sin, the thing they've done and brought upon us that's suffering. And then sometimes, like those verses say, there's persecution as a part of our faith. Based on our faith, we're persecuted and we suffer. And so when we think about those things, we go, yeah, maybe I have some control over some of those things, but maybe not a whole lot. A lot of it is really out of my hands. And so I think when we're believers, we, we really just have like a couple choices. We have two choices when it comes to suffering. One is we can focus our energy, time, and resources on Trying to minimize our suffering. How can I sort of massage my world and my life and all the things I've got going around so that I can minimize the suffering I have? Or we can focus our time and our energy and our resources on being his disciples. We just don't have the bandwidth for both. That's just the reality. We can't really be trying to do both of those things necessarily. And I feel like in most cases, when we're like, i got to run from suffering, it means I'm going to be running from people. I'm going to be running from fellowship. I'm going to be running from a number of different things, from evangelism and so forth. And then when we're doing that, we're running from suffering and we're running from people and we're, we're not really able to suffer well. We're not really able to come alongside other people in their suffering. Sometimes we can be afraid, oh, their suffering is going to rub off on me or whatever. But that's not Christ's call for us. And I would just say this. In this season especially, believers, the world is watching us. Your neighbors are watching you. Your colleagues are watching you. They are looking to you. How will you stand up in suffering in this coming season? And things may get a lot more difficult. And there may be a lot more suffering coming for us here. How will you stand up? See, I think when we look out at the world and we think about this, there's this COVID situation that we have going on right now. I think a big part of the turmoil that's going on in society around us right now is that our society is absolutely terrified of suffering and death. And sometimes we can sort of take that on ourselves as well. Right? I mean, I I guess... To me, I just want to step back and I say, okay, so there's this disease. And what could happen? Well, I could get this disease. And I could suffer for it. Or you guys could get this disease and you could suffer for it. And some of us could die from it. And that's really hard. But am I going to be afraid of that or not? And, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't be cautious I'm not saying we should be calloused. I'm not saying we should be flippant with suffering and suffering and death and just be like, ah, whatever, everyone's just going to die. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But for a believer, I think we all need to sort of come back to our intellectual understanding. And what is our intellectual understanding about suffering? Well, we understand that in, in James chapter 4, it tells us that life is but a wisp of vapor. A wisp of vapor. That's all it is. And then it ends. And then what? We get to be with Jesus. (laughs) It's great. Right? 
And we can go, oh yeah, as believers, we throw our lot in with Christ. We throw it in with Christ and then, oh, we're going to get suffering of all different kinds. And then we get to be with Jesus. <laughs> it's great. We go, wow, I have a secure hope in the future. And so we have this opportunity in the midst of a culture that's like terrified of suffering and death. If this season ahead of us brings us, any of us, suffering from COVID or suffering from economics or suffering from politics or from persecution, guess what? We get a chance to live out what the Bible says. We get to live out how to suffer this intellectual understanding. We get to live it out. We get to live it out if it happens. The world around us has got to be absolutely terrified because they have no meaningful hope. None. And in that we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity as believers. We can suffer well because we have an eternal goal. If we, suffering comes for us, and I think it will, we can suffer well. And we can suffer with others because we have the love of Christ and the gospel to share with them. And I just tell you, like, just to share my heart when it comes to this disease, and I go, this discipleship and suffering, is, it, it, it's so important to me that my thought is, man, if I, if I get sick, and, and I get really sick and really suffer and a lot of pain or I die because of this disease or things that go on from that, if I get that as an, on account of being with you guys, I'll consider that an honor and a joy. It doesn't mean I'm going to go sneeze on you or you should go sneeze on me or whatever. But if you do, my heart's okay. It's okay. I'm willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. So where do we as a church want to be in this season? And a description I've heard recently that really resonates with me is, let's be suffering sojourners who are eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. And to do that, it's going to take some effort, and it's going to take a lot of faith. Remember that faith is a gift from God. And to do this, we go, ah, am I going to be willing to suffer? Am I willing to suffer? But we're going to have to be willing to do that. We've got to be willing to experience pain because the easier path is going to be to run the other way. But when we're running the other way, we're going to be trying to make a layup for the other team. And we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Our church doesn't want to do that. So as I thought about these things, I, I, I created a diagram. Because that's like what I do, right? So I made this diagram. To show these things, right? And where Christ is at the center, and we've got evangelism and community and discipleship and suffering. I don't know if you can see this. And maybe I didn't get all these things together, but I realized as I was thinking it through, I was like, wow, everything is really interconnected here. Each thing sort of relies on the other. These, all these things point towards Christ. Evangelism brings others to Christ, and discipleship means to follow Christ. Suffering draws us closer to Christ. Spiritual community is founded upon Christ, right? I may not have everything 100% fleshed out here. I may not have it all correct. But the point is that these things are all connected. They're all connected. Discipleship, evangelism, suffering, spiritual community. And they're all centered and founded on Christ. So we go back to sort of the original idea of how do we go the right way? How do we go the right way? It's a season of turmoil. The right way is for us to go after all these things together. 
So I think as we, we head here into the next few months and as we're meeting together and we're meeting in house churches and spending our lives together, I think, I really believe these, these themes are really going to flow through our times together and our conversations and reading the word. And, and so I would encourage you to just be receptive to that. And as you think about these things, go, ah, where's my heart? Where's my heart in these things? Is my heart to run the right way into the resistance? But I know it's the right way because Jesus has laid it out for me. Or is your heart to run the other way? Let's consider those things and let's pray. Let's pray that we would be teaming together and going the right way. That's what I had to share. I'll pray this morning. Thanks, Lord. Thank you. God, thank you that you, your word was written and it's so amazing and it's so perfect. And it gave us direction from a couple thousand years ago of exactly what we should be doing in a really, really challenging season. Lord, and if it seems challenging now, I have this sense that it may get even more challenging as things go here. But God, thank you that your word is the truth and it stands and it's consistent and it helps us. So Lord, would you be with us and guide us, each one of us, Lord, we, we want to do this as a church, but Lord, each one of us as an individual, as a family is going to have to make some of these really difficult decisions. Lord, are we going to suffer? Are we going to suffer well? Are we going to come alongside others and suffer with them? Are we going to look out for number one? Lord, as we think about discipleship, are we going to run after you? Are we going to be ones who assist in spreading your message? Or not? Lord, are we going to share it with others? Lord, I just truly believe this season has brought real spiritual needs up in the lives of many around us, Lord. God, help us. Help us to get our eyes up to see those fields and to be sharing the truth. To be sharing, to have our, just have our conversation be seasoned with salt. Give us confidence in sharing the hope that we have within us. God, thank you for Jesus. So he's at the center of all that we do. He's the one that we're going after. Thank you that you sent him to earth. That he lived a sinless life, that he died in our place and paid our penalties to offer us the free gift of salvation. That we too can spend eternity with you, Lord. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're looking forward to. God, thank you for our church. Lord, thank you for the chance to meet together this morning and to be in this space. Lord, thank you for how this space has blessed us over the last 10 years. Lord, we are looking forward to this fall and to the future and all the things all across the spectrum, all the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.